guys. Amen. Amen. Praise God. It's awesome to find a place where you can fellowship together. I want to start out by sharing a little bit about my life. The pastor shared about us being flawed individuals. We're all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. Is that okay? Can we all, all agree to that? Right? There's no one here that's holier than thou. Amen. So don't make any assumptions about the men who stand in front of you. We're just sinners who sin less. We, we, we strive to try to live out this life as best we can. And often, we give you a glimpse of our lives. We let you realize that we're there too. So although I'm standing here, I'm also sitting in the audience with you. I'm not preaching to you. I'm preaching to us. Yes. Amen? Amen? So I just want to you know, make you aware that the people who stand before you don't have wings. We don't walk on water. We don't have halos. You know, we, that's not who we are. But we, we are people who are trying to live this life out the same way you're trying to live it out. So pump the brakes, take it easy, don't judge me. Don't judge each other. Can we, right? Like, like, like do I have to preach on that, right? Because oftentimes what happens is the world is already looking at us in a particular way. When we start looking at each other in a particular way, then that is harmful to the body of Christ. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Just just a commercial. I wanted to put that out there because I want you to realize that I'm all messed up. Right? I'm just trying to do this the best I can. If you hang out with me long enough, you'll realize that. And if you're not sure, you can call my wife and she'll tell you (laughs) how messed up I am. Amen? So um, I grew up in the south side, right? Between the late 90s and the mid-70s. The south side is what we call Williamsburg. Now it's East and West Williamsburg. But at that time, it was the south side. If you cross Metropolitan, it was the north side. We only crossed when we wanted to fight the Italians, right? That's, that's who owned the other side of Metropolitan. If we went past Broadway, it was a different south side because of the housing complexes that were there, but also the Jews were there, and we only went in there to bother the Jews and then run out, right? And I'm not saying that in a bad way. That's the life that you know we grew up in the south side. It was pretty crazy. But my father's solution when I used to get in trouble was to send me to Puerto Rico to my grandmother's house, OK? Now, you guys didn't hear that, right? Puerto Rico to my grandmother's house, right? Like, 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 not to my grandmother's house here, but to my grandmother's house in Puerto Rico. That was his solution. He said, you're not dying in the streets. You know, go away. You know, we'll come back in a little while, and then, you know, we'll sort it out. But going to my grandmother's house, I learned the dignity of not having things. Now, you heard the word dignity, right? Because if you don't have an iPhone, if you've never seen an iPhone, if you, if you won't desire those things. Now, when I went to her house, I had curfew. Not like curfew in the South Side. I came and went whenever I wanted to, right? Curfew was like a, a line you could push, especially when everybody who gives you curfew shows up later than you do, <laughs> right? So I had a curfew that was a hard line. If you didn't show up, the gate was closed, the door was closed, the windows were shut, you were not coming in, you had to sleep on the porch. Now in Puerto Rico at night, guess what comes out? Mosquitoes. You don't want to be outside, (laughs) okay? The other thing is that there was a TV, it was a telly, and it only had one channel. And at 6 o'clock every single day, there was a Spanish clown that came on. So I don't know what the show was, but that's what it was. The radio always played in the background to a news informative channel. You know, it was just, that's all you heard. I don't know how she heard it, but, but that's, what, you know, that's, that's what the exposure that I had. 
she had to give me was her love and a strict upbringing. Now, what I used to be able to do was watch my grandmother put these packages together, wrap them in brown paper, right? Remember the gift wrapping? That's what it was, brown paper, and then they tied it with a yarn. Anybody remember that? Right, like they tied it with yarn. And she would tell me to take this to Don Fulano, Don Carlos. At two days a week, she would have me deliver these packages of different sizes to different people. Now, I did the errands because she rewarded me with hot chocolate. Now, now, not like hot chocolate, the powder that everybody drinks. It's not what I'm talking about, okay? The, the, the hot chocolate I'm talking about is it scraped it off the bar. Right? And then it was so hot that she would give you small cubes of cheddar cheese and then drop them in there. It would melt. And then they would give you a little Ritz cracker and you would put it all in there. It, it was a Spanish delicacy, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so that was my reward. So I didn't mind running these errands. I didn't know what was in them. I only know that the people who received them, they lit up. They were like happy. And I, I began to realize that those people were living differently than my grandmother lived. My grandmother had a nice house, nice plants, nice everything, and those people weren't living as nice. I noticed that, but I didn't pay too much attention. I just wanted the hot chocolate. So I ran these errands for her, not asking what was in them, until one day I watched her pack them. And the care that she took in putting them together. She would put some coffee in a bag. She would put some beans, a little bit of beans, a little bit of rice. She would put little dulces, like little candies, right? Because each box that she was preparing, each package, little small packages that she prepared were specifically for those people that were receiving them. Right. Have you ever done something for someone that brought them hope? Yes. Have you ever done something for someone that reminded them that God it's not forgotten about you. Have you ever been the recipient of someone coming to you and saying, here, God has told me to bring this to you. It's, it's amazing. When I watched her do these things and I asked her finally, I said, Grandma, why do you do this? It's simple. She was real simple. She says, because we have, and they don't. Because we have, and they don't. I want you to hold on to that story, because as we go through the day, I want you to understand something. That you have, and there are people that don't. And it's important for us to understand that God wants us to be these conduits in which he gives us love and love should flow through us. Mercy is shown to us and mercy should flow through us. Forgiveness is expressed to us and forgiveness needs to be expressed to others. We have resources because of our direct contact to the source who provides. Yes. And it is important. It is, it is, it is imperative that we understand that. Because throughout this season of Lent and this series of Lent, we've been talking about not rules and of conduct, not things, oh, I have to do this, I have to check off this box so I can be a good Christian. No, listen, that's not what we're asking you to do. We are asking you 
to gain greater intimacy with God so that you can become more like Christ. You see, it's the becoming that matters. It is the constant transformation, the work of the Holy Spirit as you walk into obedience, as you're reading God's word, and when you read something, you allow it to get inside you. You allow it to wreck you, to challenge you, to provoke you, to move you in a direction that gets you closer to God. In week one, we talked about that, that you have to give up something good for something greater. Right. And the greater is greater intimacy with Jesus Christ. If, if anything you want to do, I'm not saying that social media is bad. I'm not saying that watching TV is bad. I'm simply saying that we're going to give us something good so I can gain intimacy with my Lord and my Savior. And the only way to do that is to avoid distractions and fight against those things that are vying for your attention on a regular basis. This moment of silence is just a reminder that solitude is something we need to practice. We have all these gadgets today, all of them, all of them, all of them. We got smart watches, smart this, smart that. How are these smart things? What are you trying to say about me? I'm dumb? <laughs> like, really? So, so, so the first week we did that. The second week we talked about uh, temptation, and we talked about taking your hand off the trigger and putting your hand on the sword, being mindful that temptation, when they come, not if they come, but when they come, and temptation is not sin, temptation comes, and I always say this, it comes to try your training, to see if you've been in the gym of God, to see if you've been praying, to see if you've been on your knees and on your face crying out to God, to see if you've been in your word, to see if you're memorizing at least one word to defend against the wiles of the enemy. In the third week, we talked about repentance, and repentance is not saying we're sorry. <laughs> it's not. I have gone a long way with sorry, but shame on you if you let me get away with sorry. Shame on you if you accept the flowers and I'll never do it again because I love you. I'll never do it again. See, that's external. That, that's out here. See, repentance is not only us realizing that our offense is not against one another, but our offense is against God. When you come to that realization, you experience what we call godly sorrow. Because you're, you're not, it's not affecting us here. It's affecting my relationship with God. Sin severs that relationship. Hence why Jesus had to go to the cross and absorb the wrath of God on your behalf, on my behalf, on our behalf collectively. So, so, so it's important for us to understand that repentance is us turning completely around, realizing that we've been heading in the wrong direction, and do a complete 180 and run into the arms of God, realizing, realizing that what we're doing is harming my relationship with God. And once I get that right, I'm able to then make amends here, seek forgiveness here, make it right here. Amen. Last week we learned, Pastor Zach brought a powerful message about intercession. Intercession. What does that mean, intercession? Well, simply put, God is praying for you. So pray for others. <laughs> How simple could that be? Every single day there is someone who is accusing you. There is someone who's pointing a finger. I'm not talking about the person next to you, so don't look at them. I'm talking, about, I'm talking about there's an accuser that is constantly pointing a finger at you saying, what kind of Christian are you? What kind of husband are you? What kind of wife are you? You know, constantly pointing fingers, right? All the time. There's an accuser of the brethren. And because of that, 
rather than the condemnation of that accusation, there's a conviction that should come over us to draw us closer to God, to realize that in that conviction, God is making us and molding us. God is using these moments to get us to run to him, not away from him. You have to understand that because of this, there is an advocate, there is an intercessor, there is someone who's sitting at the right hand of the Father, letting him know we're not done with Gus yet. He needs strength. Let's send strength his way. He needs peace. Let's give him peace. He needs protection. Let's give him protection. So you need to be praying for others. Listen to me. This ministry has been founded and continues to pray for the sick and suffering and still using addict. We have not stopped praying. Not only have we stopped, not stopped praying for them, but now we're praying for their family and their friends. And it's important that you realize when you begin to intercede that you have to first and foremost, the most important thing as you're praying for somebody else, that they will turn their will and their lives over to Jesus Christ. Before anything else, oh, Lord, heal them. No, bring them to the cross. No, God, you know, watch over them. No, bring them to the cross. Because at the end of the day, their protection, their healing happens when they're in Christ. Amen? Praise God. Let's stand to our feet because this week there's a story that I want you to listen to and I want you to follow along because it's part of this week's Lent series. Amen. Listen, we are marching closer to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is the greatest event in our faith. The greatest event. Without a resurrection, there is no us. There is no us. We're the only people that can claim that our God has risen. He is alive and well. No grave can hold him. And what he did, what he endured, he did for us. So that we don't have to suffer. Listen to me. If you're suffering without Christ, it hurts. It hurts really, really bad. When you're suffering in Christ and you understand that it's not happening to you, that it's happening for you, and that he is with you in the midst of your pain, and that he brings you comfort, and he alleviates the pain for the moment so that you can get up and come sit in the front row of the church and rejoice with your brethren. God is so good. Amen? Amen. Amen. So let's read. It's found in Luke chapter 10. Verses 25 to 37. I'm just going to read it. It's a story. Just pay close attention. Now listen, this story is not a a story you haven't heard. But but I want to be able to show and lead you in the direction where God wants to speak to us today about what we are to be as followers of Christ. In verse 25 it says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, (laughs) said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Come on, who's my neighbor? Then Jesus answered. He didn't answer him right away. Look what he does. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. 
Now, by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him into an inn, and took care of him. And the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. And then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Praise God. This story preaches itself. It, it allows us to look from a bird's eye view about the situation that transpired and the circumstances that came about to have Jesus not answer this guy directly. This lawyer was testing him, cross-examining him. Somehow the council of the day, the people of the day, wanted to find fault with Jesus because he had disturbed their activities, their business, their normal day-to-day -day pious religious activities were now interrupted by Jesus. So they were constantly trying to find things, constantly trying to set him up. And I love the fact that he doesn't answer him directly but gives him this story to answer. And it goes on here to say it's so powerful. He says, okay, so who is my neighbor? And then he goes down and he begins to preach this parable. Now, a parable is just a, 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 an earthly story with heavenly implications. Amen? Now, I'm going to use what everybody understands, and then I'm going to point to heaven constantly for it. Amen? So, so, so let's just look through it really quick because I want you to see something. It says, uh, a certain man went down from Jerusalem, Jericho, and fell among things. Now, he doesn't say who he was. Although he identifies the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan, he doesn't say who this person is. Because oftentimes we show favoritism to those that we will help and not help. Everybody understand that? We, we have to be mindful. You know, we, we, we get caught up with who we're going to help and who we're not going to help. And, and that's something that we have to hold on to. He said he was attacked. Now, there was a crime committed here. Can we agree? Yes. Yes. A brother called a beatdown. Right? Now, this road that he traveled on historically was the shortest route from Jericho to Jerusalem and Jerusalem to Jericho. Right, but it's a steep climb. It, it, it's a steep climb. It's, it's, if you start walking down, you know, you're, you're kind of like you know, catching your steps to make sure you don't roll over. But it was also referred to, it was a notorious place because anybody who traveled through that road had a chance of being robbed. But it was the shortest route to get there, so people took their chances. You know, they kind of timed when to go through there. On this particular day, there was a crime committed, and this guy was stripped naked, it says. He was wounded and left half dead. And then it says a priest came by the road. So we see this priest coming down. And I don't understand why the priest didn't stop, although the Bible speaks to us potentially about why the priest didn't stop. Because there's a law that talks about 
the fact that if you touch an, a cadaver or someone who's sick or dying, you know, and you touch him, you're ceremonially unclean, so therefore you can't go to the temple. Right? Imagine if you helped a homeless person suddenly outside, right? And, and, and you helped them. And, you know, according to the law, at that time, you wouldn't be able to come into church because now you are unclean. So I could see why the priest probably did that. The same thing with the Levite. He knew the law. So they kind of peeped and saw, and they were like, nah, I'm not getting involved. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not me. I'm not going to do that. And they walked away. But then he throws in this Samaritan. Now, you have to understand something about the Samaritans. The Samaritan, according to the Jews at that time, were a mixed race. And, and they were a mixed race because as, as, they were, as Jews were were conquered and taken into captivity, what they, the captors used to do was intermarry, force them to intermarry so that you can dilute the race, so therefore you're not sure if you're Jew or non-Jew. You're not sure what you are. It's a mixed race. Everybody understand that? So the Jews looked down on the particular group. This, this, the Jews had this snooty attitude about the Samaritans. They treated them harshly, and, and, and if you read further on, the story of the Samaritan woman at the well, right, why she had to draw water so late, during, you know, because, of course, uh, they were treated a particular way. But he uses this and shatters racial barriers. Again, I'm talking about you have, they don't have. Amen? Amen. We're, we're talking about stewarding this gift that God is giving you to help someone else get lifted up from the condition and the situation they find themselves in. He goes on to say here, he says, he treated him immediately with compassion. I love that because you have to understand something about the Samaritan. You see, that guy that was on the side of the road, he got beat physically. But the Samaritan historically was being beaten emotionally psychologically being ostracized and stigmatized, being kept on the outskirt of things where you couldn't even draw water when everybody else was drawing water when you couldn't come and participate to the point where they had to find a different place to worship and Jesus later addresses that as well it's so important for us to realize that he knew compassion listen to me please he knew compassion because he has experienced that not physically, but he's experienced it more emotionally and psychologically. And let me tell you something. You who are sitting here today who have experienced some kind of hurt, some kind of harm, some kind of adversity and difficulty in your life, you're not going through that for nothing. You're not going through that for nothing. All of us in this room, shame on us. Me first if we forget where we have come from. Where we have come from, where everyone here missed the gratitude of taking a shower, where everyone here missed our brother sharing about being able to take a shower because we all took a shower today, not something we even think about. Compassion is something that is birthed as we become more and more like Christ. More and more like Christ. Now, now watch what happens. 
He bandages up. He pours oil on him. He set him on his animal, brought him to an inn. He, he, hold on a minute. He didn't tell somebody else to do it. The Bible said he took care of it. Listen to me. If somebody walks in here and he meets you outside and you start to talk to them and they have a need, do me a favor, don't bring them to me. Don't bring them to me. If they need prayer, pray for them. If they don't know Christ, lead them to Christ. If they need a slice of pizza, get them a slice of pizza. Don't bring them to me. Here's what you have to understand. We're all shepherds. Every single one of us in this room is a shepherd. Every single one of us here is not called to preach, but we're all called to reach someone. Someone. And if you see a need, it's up to you to meet that need. By the time you bring them to me, they've lost their desire to be taken care of. You know what you're doing? You're passing them on to somebody else. He felt compassion because he experienced this. You've experienced this. And, and, and so he wanted to help him. I, 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 I'm, I'm moved by the fact that it appears to me that this guy had done this before. It, it, it moves me to think because it appears that this was his ministry. Who walks around with bandages? Like, like he knew what end to take him to so he could be safe so nobody else would bother him. He also said that I'll come back this way and pay you whatever it is you have to. Now, two things are going on here. What he did was literally intercede for this guy. This guy could not do this for himself. Now, you're not listening. I'm going to talk to the Bronx people, okay? <laughs> he could not do this for himself. And there are times that you can't do it for yourself. And there are times that you're going to meet people that they can't do it for themselves. And you have resources. You have resources to be able to leverage and influence and change the trajectory of this person's life, even if it is for one day. Somebody comes to you and says, man, I'm hungry. And maybe you don't have, but you have a place they can come to and get a hot meal. There's a place they can come to and have some groceries for their family. There's a mother who has a baby that can come here and get baby stuff. Listen, you're not listening. You know, you know, you and me have these resources that God has provided for us so that we can help others. He's standing in the gap and doing something for him that he can't do for themselves. Now, let me explain to you something because it's important because handout is just a handout. A help out lifts people up. When you start to help people and give them a sense of dignity, they begin to rise up and they begin to move. Why? Because they want to. There are very few people that are just born out lazy. The people want to. They want to do something. They want to help. They just don't know. They might need a little sense of direction, a little help. And that's where you come in. That's where this guy came in. He began to intercede, but let me tell you what else he did. He used what he had. Yeah. He, lose, he used what he had. Why? Because God gives. We're a conduit. We hold our palms up and open. We don't cling to things, and we release it into others. You guys are constantly telling me you can't keep it unless you give it away. Give it away. Well, you can't receive unless you give. 
you cannot receive against you. Not that God is going to give you, but here's what God does. And listen to me, and we're going to see it in the scriptures. What God does is that he gives to people he knows are givers. (laughs) So I don't want you to think, oh, I'm going to give so he can give me. No, no. He's going to give you because he knows that you're a giver. And this guy was being generous. Generous. Look at your neighbor and say generous. Let me tell you what a generous person does. Generous people are able and willing to give. Able and willing to give. They give both financially and of themselves. Woo. Woo. Themselves. In a way, watch this. In a way, I think the definition should be up on the screen if you can find it for me. In a way that benefits the recipient. Oh, you missed that one. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's not about you. It's not about you. It's not about you. It's about you using what God has given you so that you can help somebody else not expecting anything back in return. You don't let the left hand know what the right hand is doing. You, you, you don't walk around saying, yo, I helped you, I helped you, I helped you. Do you remember that day I helped you? <laughs> remember that day I helped you? You don't do that. It says this, their gifts may include time, money, things, and encouragement. See, everybody gets caught up, oh man, he's talking about money again. No, listen, money is part of it. Money is part of it. But, but you have to understand this, that the generous people are also able to receive in such a way that the giver gains from the interchange. There is a joy. There is a celebration that happens because you're able to give what God has freely given you. Oh, man. In Psalm chapter uh, 112, verse 5, it says this, good will come to those who are generous and lend freely. So what are we to become in, in this progressive sanctification, in this moving closer and closer to the burial, death, and resurrection of our, of our Lord and Savior so that Easter Sunday and Good Friday can be a celebration rather than just another service where we can light up this place in a way that the world will know that no pandemic is going to keep my God down. That there's nothing. We're all wearing masks. We're all taking temperatures. Praise the Lord. We're going to adhere to the authorities. But guess what? I'm not going to stop praising God. I'm not going to stop worshiping God. I'm not going to stop allowing God to use me for his glory and for his honor because there is still a need outside of these four walls. Goes on to say, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 through 11. You've heard this before, and it's been used sometimes when you're offering. But be mindful of what it says here. Watch this. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. So this business of giving is between you and God. If you're not sure where to start, see the pastors. We'll talk to you a little bit about it. But it's important that you start somewhere. Amen? He goes on and says, not reluctantly. Or under compulsion. 
For God loves a cheerful giver. In the Old Testament times, when people were asked about their offering, people ran and danced up to the front and dropped it and celebrated and ran because they were bringing to God cheerfully. Why? Because they understood that they were stewards of the gift that God had given them. That the provision that they got, what my grandmother did to this day moves my heart because she took from her bag of rice and she took a couple of scoops and put it enough. Why? Because she knew that couple of scoops would feed her family for a day. Because she had, and they didn't. Because you have, and they don't. He goes on to say here further, and God is able to bless abundantly. So that in all things at all times, having all that you need, see, God's going to provide for you first. You see that? You will abound in every good work. It is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Freely. Their righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Listen, I'm going to say that again. He who supplies seed to the sower. God does not supply seed to the hoarder. He doesn't. That person that wants to hold on to things, that person that wants to keep things, that person that by fear holds on to things because they're not sure about tomorrow. Somewhere I read that I shouldn't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's going to have its own problems. I need to be in the moment, and I also need to know that the righteous will never be found begging for bread, that God will always provide for me. God will always provide what I need. I said earlier the dignity of lacking is something that we have to embrace. A lot of us, our children today, sometimes they don't want to eat the rice and beans. They want to go get McDonald's. So the other day, I had a great conversation with my kids. I said, I don't want no more McDonald's in the house. And they're like, Dad, what are you talking about, no McDonald's in the house? I said, well, well sit down, because it's a teachable moment. Let me teach you something about McDonald's. M- McDonald's is involved in free labor. They literally, their meat gets packaged by prisoners, who they pay 90 cents. Yeah, you guys. Yeah. You guys didn't know that, did you? Well, well I, I learned it also. And there's no more McDonald's in my house. So, again, what are we saying? He gives seed to the sower, not the person that has everything locked up. It says, why? Because the sower knows that the seed doesn't belong to him. So he spreads it. He spreads it. He keeps spreading. Remember, this guy is being generous. This story here in this road to Jericho, this good Samaritan, he's using his resources, birth out of compassion for someone who is in need, and he's going above and beyond, and he's stretching himself. And he goes on to say this. In Proverbs 11, 28, he said, those who trust in their riches will fall. I don't want to trust in my riches. I want to trust in the one who owns everything that he will provide for me as he's promised. It also goes on to say in Luke chapter 16, verse 11, 12, it says, if you cannot be trusted with worldly riches, then who will trust you with true riches? 
We're stewards of the gift. It doesn't belong to us. Who it belongs to? It belongs to God. He's going to give seed to the sower. If you're a giver, he's going to give to you. Don't expect to give to receive. Just understand that because your heart, your life is built in such a way that you hold things with loose grips. Like your palms are open and saying, God, here it is. God, here it is. God, here it is. How do you want to use it? Where do you want me to disperse it? Help me to be wise. Give me discernment. How do I use what you're giving me so I can help someone else? Why? Because God is more important than money. And it also says that where your, your treasure is, your heart will also be there. So it's important. The scripture says that you should store treasures in heaven where they cannot be destroyed by moths or rust where thieves cannot break in and steal. It's important for us to understand. And then 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 to 11, I'll close with this, says this. Each of you have received a gift to use to serve others. Let's, let's read that together. At that verse right there where, where it ends and it says others. Let's read this really out loud so everybody can hear it. Ready? At the count of three. One, two, three. Each of you has received a gift to use to serve others. Stop. Did you hear that? We all heard it. You're responsible for what you heard. There are no excuses. There are no excuses now. You heard it. The gift you have has been given to serve others. The gifts we have are for the edification of the church, not the physical church, but the people in this room. It goes on to say, be good servants of God's various gifts of grace. Hold on a minute. Be good servants of whose gifts? God. That's right. Anyone who speaks should speak words from God. Anyone who serves should serve with the strength God gives so that in everything God will be praised through Jesus Christ. Power and glory belong to him forever and ever. Amen.